I was kind of mimicking my heroes, you know, all, you know, all these people that I loved. And I, I didn't find my own language and it was frustrating to me. And so I thought, well, you know, why not be abstract, but be a realist at the same time? And I, I think once I decided that, I think that opened my mind up to the possibilities of the things I wanted to draw. The shift was that I didn't need to be abstract to be an abstraction. Hey guys, just a quick reminder about the printable color charts by Barb Sodi Art. If you've not picked up a chart yet, be sure and do that before, I don't know, she changes the price or she no longer offers them. I don't know. Something like that could happen. You never know. Go over and pick them up. It's sort of a palette cleanser in between art projects. It's a great thing to do. I'll talk just a little bit more about those with Barb in the middle of the show. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Face Value Course, the Sharpened Artist Academy flagship course. Have you been frustrated trying to draw portraits in colored pencil? Do you want to draw people confidently and accurately, but don't know where to start? Or maybe you're just tired of copying another artist's line drawing. I get it. The Face Value Course, now in its fourth year, will give you the tools you need to create your own original portraits. You'll be given a step-by-step -step system for independent decision-making, bite-sized exercises, and live weekly office hours interaction to keep you accountable. Enrollment for the course is still open, and there's still time for you to join the 2021 cohort. Just go to the show notes for the link before enrollment closes. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. What makes it different from other sanded papers? One thing is the way that the grain is applied to the paper. There is an electrostatic charge that pulls the grain up towards the paper and is applied from the bottom up. Why does that matter? Because it's an even distribution of the grain to the paper. And so you can have very fine grains like an 800 grade on the paper, a very velvety kind of touch to the paper. If you've never tried UART sanded paper before, then then go over to the show notes, click on the link, and there are seven different grades to choose from. It comes in a beige and a dark, it comes in sheets, pads, rolled, and mounted boards. And we thank UART Santa Paper for their support of the Colored Pencil Podcast. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast. Weekly discussions in and around this medium that we love so much. Hey there, welcome back to the show. My name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com. I'm so glad you're listening today. You know, it means a lot to me to have you here week to week. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating and or review and tell someone else about the show. Tell them how they can get the show. I, I used to say subscribe, but now you want to follow the show. My guest today, I'm so excited about this. My guest today, is Armin Mersman. I, I've followed Armin before I ever started doing any art again. When I, when I came back to art, before I did that, I was creeping around online looking at people doing art. And Armin was one of the first ones that I ever came across. And I saw these graphite drawings of eyes and, and portraits. And I was just blown away at the realism of uh, of this art. So 
If you don't know my guest today, then you're in for a real treat. So, Armin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you, John. I'm excited to talk to you. Awesome. So you were born in, in Germany and you migrated yes. over here from what I understand you're around, what, what we say? Seven years old, seven 14, years old, seven, I was, I was, seven years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, uh, grew up in Germany, my parents, uh, but I was actually raised by my grandparents till I was five years old. And, oh, okay. uh, yeah, a lot of that, uh, early stuff in Germany, cause it was post-war started to creep into my art even as even as late as now so we moved to this country when i was seven years old because my dad got a he was a painter and an artist and he got a job in frankenmuth michigan uh kind of a german disneyland if you will okay and uh he was hired to do 12 paintings historical paintings and we had a relative that lived in bay city michigan and we moved here and uh, I was an only child. Everything worked well from that point. I started mm. drawing actually very early before I even actually knew my parents. I didn't know them very well until I was five. But oh, okay. I, I remember drawings I did as a kid of, you know, underwater scenes. And we lived in the, in the hills. We didn't, I didn't even know underwater. You know? So I started using my imagination and using that as a mm. sanctuary even when I was little. So mm-hmm. uh, I had that. Already in the bag. Hmm. Right. That's interesting. So, and, uh, so when you were, when you were young and I guess in your, in your teens, you just kept drawing more and more or did it? Right. I'm not, a, I'm not a big believer in the word talent. Okay. As a kid, if you're interested in something and somebody says, right. Hey, I like that. You get more interest. It's a positive kind of thing. So when I was Uh five and six years old, especially when I came to this country and I did not speak English, I communicated through my drawings. Uh, I remember Mm. there was a a young man my age who was deaf, who lived across the street from us. And we drew to each other to to communicate because art is such a great place to communicate. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I went to school here, you know, I didn't speak English at first for the first half year or year. Uh, I already was at the point where people would say, oh, Armin draws really well. And, uh, you know, let Armin do, do the drawing. Just don't let him do the spelling, <laughs> but let him do the drawing. Right. And right. And so <laughs> that was a, a, a kick. And so I got better and better because I got this very positive reinforcement from, from teachers and fellow students. So that's, the, that's the word talent. You know, uh, it was, yeah. it wasn't even to that point. It was hard work for me. And my dad was a great teacher. He told me observation was the key thing. Learn how to observe things. Understand what mm. you see. Don't just see the world around mm-hmm. you like, this is a tree. But take that tree apart. What do you see? And so that was very early on. I had that uh, that mentorship from my father, Fritz Mersen. Oh, that's so cool. So understanding what you see. I mean, so here, here's the thing, guys. We could go in a million different directions with this interview because... Armin has done a lot of different things, but I kind of wanted to, to dig in some areas that, that just happen spontaneously as we, as sure. we talk. The way that you think about drawing and observation, I think is just exponentially different than so many think about drawing and art. Um, 
even within, you know, teachers and instructors and educators. So maybe, maybe it has something to do or a lot to do with uh, your father um, it, and, and you know, giving you some of that advice. My dad was, uh, he was a funny guy. I mean, he was intense. You know, when I was drawing, I had my, my mom and him got a divorce oh, a couple of years after we moved to this country. And he had the studio and he had a little drawing table for me. And I'm about nine or 10 years old. And uh, one time he caught me drawing cartoons. You'd think he caught me looking at a Playboy book. He just kind of freaked out, <laughs> you know, and said, what are you doing? Why are you drawing cartoons? <laughs> and uh, he said, I need to you draw. And he put a, I put a glass in there with a fork in it. He said, I want you to draw that glass and I want you to see the distortions. Don't be drawing those cartoons in my studio. So that no. was it. So oh, early right. on, it was a very serious kind of thing uh, with yeah. the help of, of my dad. Yes. Mm. And that, that's got to be great training too. Just it to was. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. My dad was self-taught. And mm. here, here's what happened to my dad. It's an interesting story. My dad was a German soldier when he was 16 years old. He was captured oh, wow. by, he was captured by the Americans, thank God. And mm. he ended up in Roswell, New Mexico in a prisoner of war camp. And the Germans were there. They, they fended for themselves, really. You know, they didn't have a bunch of guards even. And so he right. had got some paper and taught himself how to draw because a oh, friend wow. of his drew and, uh, Everything he learned from drawing was exactly self-taught. He didn't spend one minute in art school, but he wow. was amazing. He was amazing. And he actually didn't want me to go to art school. He said, oh, this, that stuff is crap. They're going to teach you this stuff that you don't need to know. And, and, uh, <laughs> and so I go to art school and I drew very well by the time I, I started teaching classes when I was 17 at the YMCA in Saginaw, Michigan. Mm. Uh, but when I went to art school, I was doing everything differently. You know, it was like my approach was different. My, my style was different. Uh, my interests were different and just the way I build up drawings were different. Yeah. So, so then I took the combination of what I learned in art school and what my dad taught me. And most of all, what I taught myself, I, I think as a teacher and an artist, I think artists teach themselves a lot mm -hmm. of things, mm -hmm. you know, you I mean, you can build up that foundation with school. Mm -hmm. But at the end, all that foundation, you build the house on that foundation. And you right. see the foundation. Do you feel like that uh, art school was a, a really good foundation? I mean, did, did, was it really good and solid in that way? Or di did you find gaps like in your education uh, when you came there and you're like, oh, this is what I needed? Yeah, all of that. I mean, nope. I went to art mm. school and uh, first I... I was in the Air Force. I enlisted oh, okay. when I was 18 years old and I was an illustrator for the Air Force. You know, oh, and this cool. was before I started art school. And why do they need illustrators? Well, they had brochures and pamphlets and all right. these other kinds of things, just like other organizations do. And obviously the Air Force is one big organization. Yeah. Uh, I ended up doing a lot of portraits for generals, wives and stuff that you oh, wow. taxpayers paid for. <laughs> so. <laughs> But for me, it was kind of a nice so break cool. from doing, yeah. And so when I got out of the Air Force and I got out in four years, I decided to go to school and I was hit with all these things. Design for mm -hmm. instance, was a gut level design. I, 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 I truly believe children, six, seven years old, know more about the design than most adults do because nobody's telling them rules. And Yay. when you, mm -hmm. when you grow up, 
when you see outside, you look at trees, you look at clouds, they all have the golden mean. And so when a six-year-old yeah. draws, he, he or she is affected by what they've seen already in nature. And they mm -hmm. come up with great composition. Then we start thinking. Then people are like, well, maybe you should do the rules of thirds or the golden mean. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. these things that had no rules, all of a sudden had rules. And that kind of freaked me out for a while. I, I mean, I've seen before where, you know, you can take a child and teach them how to do realism. Yes. Um, and, and I'm guessing, you know, you're, you're, you're hinting at something like that. There's something about just that innocence and that ignorance, I guess, if you want to call it that, that is something that's good, really. Uh, and then we, it's, it's the unlearning of learning, right? <laughs> that we go right. through well, sometimes. <laughs> a lot of kids stop drawing around that time, seven or eight for, for different uh -huh. reasons, other interests, video games, other things. Sure. But one of the big things, yeah, one of the big things is they get criticized too early. Mm, you know, that mm -hmm. chimney doesn't go off there in a, in a 90 degree area, 45 degree angle. It's straight up, and, right. you know, and, and then all of a sudden they start doubting themselves and they, they lose that interest. And then when they're mm -hmm. 25 years old, they say, well, I don't have any talent. Well, it wasn't the talent, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's, that's the thing. I, I, I think we really have to appreciate what our children do. And, and art and just celebrate it and teach them, right, right, you know, if they're right, interested. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you are married to an artist. I don't, I don't yes. know what that's like. I have no idea what that's like. <laughs> no, you um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> but she does, she does entirely different art than you do. So yes, she does. Uh, um, her name is, her name is Valerie Allen. And yeah. she's a working artist for Golden Acrylics as well. And she's a curator for Studio 23 cool. in Bay City, Michigan. And she's mm -hmm. an abstractionist. And I love abstraction. I really uh -huh. love it. For my, my whole life, I've loved abstraction. Uh, and there's a lot of abstract thought going on in, in my drawing as well. But going back to Valerie, we seem to be opposites, but we're not. We're on the same plane. We talk a lot about art and uh, do a lot of things together. When I look at your work, um, especially like the trees and branches and concrete that you've done and uh, all these very highly detailed, very representational, mm -hmm. but they're also very abstract in, in, in those ways. And I'm guessing that's uh, kind of what you're talking about a little bit. Yeah, that's but, exactly yeah. that's exactly what I where my mind is when I come up and conceive these pieces. One of the mm -hmm. things I stay away from is I try not to be sentimental. Not that that's a big problem, but uh -huh. for me, I want to go, you know, to the core of design. And for instance, you talked about this concrete piece. Mm -hmm. um, um, three years ago, I was the curator for Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. And I've been there mm -hmm. for 29 years. I ran the school, was head of installation, did all kinds of things for them. And I applied for a residency at Manifest Drawing Center in uh, mm -hmm. Cincinnati, Ohio. Right. And uh, I got the residency. It was a one-year residency. There's two of us that got it, myself and another person. And I spent one year there, and I drew one drawing, and that was that concrete drawing called, uh, called Aggregate. And I paid attention to every one of those stones. There's about a half a million stones in there. 
Uh, wow. And it was a it was a journey. You know, people ask me sometimes, "Well, why don't you just take yeah. a photograph?" And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> you know, it's part of the the journey too. Then, right? I mean, it's not right. just the finished product, right? I don't consider myself a photorealist. I consider okay. myself a realist. Uh, I use many photos as references for that particular drawing. Uh, uh-huh. I'd probably use 40 photos, but I had a whole box of concrete. So it was all put together, almost like a montage, I would say. Mm-hmm. And uh, first, I, I was looking around for abstraction in the cement. I said, that would be interesting to draw. Let me find some great abstraction within that. And uh, then you take that journey. John, you go through every little pebble. You walk from mm-hmm. pebble to pebble. And where's this shadow coming from? Where's this shadow coming from? I think it's very akin to taking a trip somewhere. If you're taking mm-hmm. a trip through the microcosm of that in your own mind. So every stone was lovingly created, not to get photorealism, but for me to understand the place. Right. Yes, it's a piece right. of concrete. And enough people will walk by and say, oh, okay, this is a piece of concrete. And that's fine. And I understand that. Uh, and that's why in my career, I've always had a job within the arts from the training uh-huh. business to the to curation and, and installation and all these kinds of things. So I could draw what I wanted to draw because people love that. I'd say, oh, well, that's a great drawing, but I, I wouldn't want to live with it. And I understand that. Hmm. Very interesting. What, what size is that? When do you recall? I'll find, um... It's 60, 16 inches by 50 inches. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So what, what is it, uh, done on what, what surface is that? Uh, there's a, a company in New York called Artboard, not Clayboard, okay. but Artboard. And okay. they do the mounting of these and they mount it on maple. It's arches, okay. hot press, watercolor paper mounted mm-hmm. on maple. And oh, they, do, they do, yeah, they do a great job. I wouldn't say I'm hypercritical of my surface because I do use different papers. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, in this journey, I uh, kind of settled down on a few papers and that, that's one of the bigger pieces that I like. I like a hard surface. If they're going to take a year, mm-hmm. I don't like just regular paper anyway, because at some points it gets dented. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I always have my bigger work mounted, uh, by this particular company. So, mm-hmm. uh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can we talk for just a minute then about that residency? At Manifest, sure. mm-hmm. uh, 12 months. Uh, and so that's not all you were doing is working on that drawing, right? I mean, you also taught, right? While you're at the residency not, or do I have really. that right? I, I taught, no? taught okay. a couple classes there at the residency okay. Okay. and, um, my wife and I had bought a condo down there. Okay. Uh, Val was doing a lot of talks for bold and acrylic and, uh, she had a place there, but she also worked full time up here. So it was isolated. Really, what I learned uh, was I'm okay. truly not. I always thought I was a loner, but I'm not. You know, you put it, you're in this room by yourself day after day, and thank God for the internet and and Facebook or whatever we use to talk to each other yeah. to keep me through. But that was a concentrated time to work mainly on one piece. There were some other smaller pieces did as well, just to get my mind off the concrete. But to have that gift to be at a residency for one year, yeah. and I think I think yeah. manifest truly for that was uh, an amazing experience uh, and manifest mm. is wonderful they're one of the top drawing centers in the world mm-hmm. and i really believe mm-hmm. they put they put drawing on a different side uh you know a lot of times drawings are kind of the the red-haired stepchild of the arts you yeah know? 
You know, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, I can't spend that much for a drawing and, and this, that, and the other right, thing. And, right, I mean, right. Why? What's the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think they were really pivotal in, in making drawing in a national and truly an international importance. Not that that's all they can show there or deal with there. And you do all kinds of stuff. They have painting mm-hmm. shows, shows on photography. Mm-hmm. That's a, right, that's a right. wonderful organization. So I spent that year there day after day. Uh, Sometimes I would spend 12 hours. Sometimes I'd spend four hours. It's just depending on what I could deal with. And you found out that um, you're a little more extroverted than you thought. <laughs> yes, I was. You know, I could, I'd, I could see that. At the... I'd go across the street. You know, they had a little brew, brew club there across the, yeah. across the street. And I'd have a beer and just talk to anybody. I'd, you know, so, How's it going? I'm across the street. I'm an artist. <laughs> you should find somebody to, to talk to there. Um, yeah, know, I wasn't. You know, so, uh, but you know, it was interesting. Then I got back in half year COVID, and all of a sudden I was isolated again in a different kind of. Oh place. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When you were drawing there at Manifest, was it like an open room? Did people come by and were they able to watch you work, or was that they weren't allowed to watch you work? Or I don't no, know. no, they. Well, most of the time, you know, they have a gallery and people would come in the yeah. gallery during the week. And most of those times, those people didn't come back, even though uh, they knew the people running the gallery that they could come back there. But they oh, had okay. openings every six weeks. And when there was an opening, I'd have an open studio and have my work laid out. And I would have people come in. And it was great to talk to them about the technique. I mean, they'd go ooh and ah yeah. about the little stones and all that. And uh, yeah. My job always as an artist is to be part teacher, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to excite people about the process, uh, not to, right. you know, not to talk them into liking my work. Let's, let's say that that doesn't work yeah, very yeah. well, but to make <laughs> them, yeah, make them aware of my uh-huh. thought processes and why I would draw something as strange as concrete. When they left the studio, they had a different opinion on not only drawing per se but a little bit about abstraction which does move me quite a bit Mm -hmm. what can you tell us about i mean so you know most of my audience they're interested in representational art yes Mm -hmm. um and and a lot of us i I guess i could use the term you know uh that i don't get abstract art i could probably Mm -hmm. safely say i don't get it you know because i've heard people say i don't get it so i probably don't get it (laughs) John, let me what, give you a what little. What you say? Yeah, yeah. A little what if about abstracts, because okay. when you're when you when you're not familiar with abstraction, or you you're kind of confused about that. And it's think about yeah. yourself down going down the path of a forest, and there's a rock, and in that rock, you'll stand in front of that rock for ten minutes looking at all the patterns in that rock. You're not you're not getting um, like it's a painting. Now you take that rock and say it's beautiful. You don't usually say, I see a head in there or what's it supposed to be. Right. You're truly, you're truly free in the seamless patterns of that. And that's what abstraction mm-hmm. is. Abstractions opens your mind to see movement, to see composition. And you're free of, of having to see a face, having to see an eye, having to see a tree. And as you know, with my work, I am a representational artist big time, but I do mm-hmm. use the spirit. And the power of abstraction in designing my work and choosing what mm-hmm. to draw, that comes from the conceptual abstract mind that I have. Mm-hmm. So when I went to school, 
my, you know, my objective was to learn realism as much as possible. Uh, I went from yeah. different schools to different schools. I was not interested in a degree. I was interested in taking as many art classes as I could from gotcha. the government was paying the bill for it. So I took a lot uh -huh. of classes and I thought I'm going to learn to draw and paint as realistically as possible and then turn to abstraction. It's like jazz. Really? Jazz that, was, kind of, that was your yeah. goal. Huh? Yeah. Jazz is the abstraction in the music industry. So you, you don't start yeah. out with jazz. You start out with the blues or whatever you're, you're fond of. Right. And then you work your way into to jazz. So um, when I got back from all these classes and schools, I took five years off and just painted. I didn't draw at this time. I was doing oil paintings. And hmm. I didn't go to galleries. I didn't, I didn't, well, there was no internet. So I didn't enter shows. I didn't go to museums. I isolated myself from constant schooling to no schooling at all. And for the mm -hmm. first two years, I tried to become an abstractionist. And I found out that I was, I was kind of mimicking my heroes, you know, Franz Klein, Gaben Korn, all these people that I loved. And I, I didn't find my own language and it was frustrating to me. And so I thought, well, you know, why not be abstract, but be a realist at the same time? And I, I think once I decided that, I think that opened my mind up to the possibilities of the things I wanted to draw. The Color Pencil Podcast is brought to you by UART Premium Sanded Paper. There are so many different advantages to using a sanded paper, such as using lighter pencils like white over dark areas. That's just one of the advantages. So that flexibility allows you to keep on layering over and over again. If you've never tried sanded paper before, go over to the show notes and click on the link to get your first batch of UART Premium premium sanded paper. And we thank UART for their support of the Color Pencil Podcast. Barb, let's talk for a second about these color charts. There are still artists who have had questions about them and have not picked them up yet. So what would you say? What's the biggest reason why you think a new color pencil artist or an old one like myself <laughs> uh, <laughs> might want to pick one of these up and start using it? Yeah, I think the, the biggest advantage to having these charts is that most colored pencil artists, once you start getting into colored pencil, it becomes a bit of an obsession. So, you know, Definitely. you start getting all the brands and it can be really hard to keep them straight. And I find even for myself, there are certain brands I tend to use more in my artwork. But every now and then I want to venture out or a certain colored pencil line has a, a slightly different, you know, that perfect color that I need for a piece. So having these charts for me just makes it really easy to reference that and grab the right color and forget the guesswork because a lot of times what can happen is even the barrel of the pencil isn't necessarily accurate to what the pencil looks like when you actually use it so right. what, what i find is really helpful about this because you're filling them in yourself with the pencils that you own you're getting a really accurate color representation no need for having a scrap piece of paper all the time now beside you while you're working. You just have to reference your chart. You just have to fill them in, do the work once, and then you have it as a resource for you over and over again. Awesome. Even relying on those tips, guys. I mean, don't rely on the tip to tell you the color. That can be very deceiving as well, as we all know. So go over to the show notes and we'll have a link set up for you over there. 
So there was a big shift then, I guess, in uh, some of the representational art you, yeah. were, you were interested the, in and in, in creating. The shift, the shift was that I didn't need to be abstract to be an abstraction. I could be a mm-hmm. realist because I love drawing realistically and painting realistically, but still consider myself an abstractionist in the composition. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I break the rules of composition all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. for the power of that particular thing. But when you break rules, it's a good idea to know them. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that uh, I studied for that long. And mm-hmm. uh, I started painting things in the beginning, in my 20s. A lot of that stuff was pretty political and, you know, angsty and all those kinds of things that mm-hmm. a 20-year-old something mm-hmm. uh, would be doing. And uh, mm-hmm. I started, you know, I, it wasn't, a good friend of mine and a, a mentor, a, a gentleman named Larry Butcher, who uh, was really my first art teacher other than my dad, uh, I did this drawing in the class, and it, and it wasn't colored pencil, by the way. And I don't, I, I don't draw in colored pencil very much, but yeah. at that time, yeah, it was a big, ask you about that. It was a big drawing of paint, okay. uh, uh, a glass, and full of paint and brushes in that uh-huh. glass. And it was hyper-realistic drawing in, in colored pencil. And I brought it to class and he looks at it and he says, all right, Aaron, we know you can draw. So what's with the brushes and the, and the, you know, I don't see anything here that tells me about you at all, you know? And that made me yeah. think, you know, mm. am I going to use my skills and use and do the eye candy bit for people who went mm-hmm. on about that? And then it's a drawing of a banana or an orange or something. Um, mm-hmm. And that was not enough for me. And and he, and, mm-hmm. and Larry made it uh, uh, hmm. available to me. He was a very conceptual thing. He still is, and that was really good. Hmm. That was a really good uh, school to go to. From that's Delta College in, uh, in uh, Midland, Michigan. It's just challenging through your thought process and your reasoning behind. Uh, your artwork that that's so interesting people can just barrages with words say all kinds of things and it, sometimes it's just you know in one ear and out the other um, mm-hmm. kind of like hearing our parents talk or something when we're kids but then it just sometimes something clicks i mean it's just like that one thing sometimes you know somebody will these, say these little snippets that i've got from different people teachers yeah. and, and fellow students and, and now that i get from students uh, will make you think differently. And, uh, that's when you build that foundation to all these things. But I also knew that mm-hmm. in the end, I'm going to teach myself 80% of what I know from drawing. Uh, mm-hmm. it was a challenge. How can I make a better line? How can I make a, uh, you know, I do a lot of accidental process. I use subtractive drawing quite a bit too. So that's very important for me. I don't want to copy something. I want to mm-hmm. create something. I want to mm-hmm. see if, if it's a reference photo, I want to see three different reference photos. And then I want to make mm-hmm. it my own. It, for me, personally, I don't get excited on just copying a photograph. But, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's me. Uh, but I want to recreate the photograph because we have to. I mean, if you yeah. don't work, I mean, my tree things right. sometimes take a thousand hours, 1500 hours. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're not going to, you can't work from life because, it, you know, it right, changes, right. you know. You're not going to be in the woods for 1,500 hours. Plus, there's spiders. You're right. I know, exactly. I so, <laughs> I don't like spiders. So, uh, you know, let's go to that tree series and drawings that yeah. I've done in the last 10 years. It came about, right. uh, 
I was getting some information for a different drawing where there was trees in, and I was going out taking some photos of trees. And then after I finished that particular drawing, I said, I'd like to do one of just the trees. And in the winter, because those lines of the trees, those marks oh. are very oh, much yeah. abstract. And then I, right. well, then I said, I want to, I want the most complex area I can find. And, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, 600 hours. I'm like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> you know? And, uh, so anyway, I, I'm going to have a little statement about OCD and it, it sounds funny, yeah. but, but I have OCD and, uh, I, I found out when I was in my thirties, I had OCD. I went to see uh -huh. a doctor in Chicago and they gave me medicine to, to, to help with that. Right. Uh, and then I used the OCD as a tool. Uh-huh. I says, I don't totally want this to go away. So don't give me this medicine. He says, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. That medicine, you know, you know what you have. And so I use that in my art where I gotcha. don't go for, yeah. I don't go for shortcuts. It'll bother me. I won't be able to sleep, but I can, I can get rid of branches that are not good for the composition. He's, you know, not to put uh -huh. every branch I see in there. Uh, yeah, right, know. right. You know, well, I and mean, so in that, that way, I mean, you're not being a photocopyist, you know, the argument no. that some make it, it's, and I think that's just one of the biggest common misconceptions with representational art or quote unquote photorealism or mm -hmm. hyperreal, you know, fill in the blank and what, you know, what you're doing, what someone who can execute at that level is doing is not representing a photo. Um, but I, it seems to be just like a, a common uh, misconception uh, is that, you know, oh, Armin, he's probably trying to copy that photo. And no, I mean, you're no. making thousands, if not millions of decisions all the time no. whenever you're putting that together. Uh, I, I use photos, as I said, uh, because you can't work from life really in this, this long yeah. form drawing, what I call it. And I teach classes called mm. long form drawing which usually take a hundred hours or more for people, for students. And so you get personally involved in that particular scene. Uh, when I draw yeah. trees, I have a box of sticks. So when I draw a branch, I hold the stick in my hand. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get too Zen about the whole thing, but I want to be part of that. I want the energy from that mm -hmm. stick to, to flow into me. And it does. I mean, a big part of the excitement for drawing for me is that's a sanctuary. So mm -hmm. when everything mm -hmm. was crashing with, with, politics and with the mm -hmm. virus uh right that sanctuary was very important for me to go to i would lose myself i wouldn't think any, anything about that stuff i would think about this branch i'm drawing how can i make it less interesting or more interesting what i see less interesting i see i don't want the same interest throughout my work some of that stuff i just wanted to touch the, the viewer's eye and then mm -hmm. lead them to something that is more interesting it's, it's like leading breadcrumbs for the viewer i suppose you know, yeah. so, cause I think about, I think about the things I draw in small sections. I, I don't think of it as a whole. Matter of fact, uh, here's the, one of the ways I draw that's not academic. I draw from the spot and work my way out and just use, sometimes I use a grid if it's a, if it's a very complex thing, or I just use mm -hmm. landmarks to move my way down. I don't do an underdrawing or anything like that. I'm too impatient for that. People think, oh, Armin, you must have the patience of Job. And I'm like, who is this job you're talking about? No, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that, see, that, and I knew that about you, that you're, mm -hmm. you work nearly to completion on, on sections and you move your way around. Yeah. Uh, and I, that always, 
Okay. I wondered about that. I wondered why. Because I, I don't have the patience, Joe. And you can just ask my wife, Valerie, about that. I don't have much patience <laughs> at all. And for me, I want to see something done every day. And uh, yeah. once I get the grid down, down, I get the branches and the major branches, I get rid of the grid. Because I want the, the branches to be my grid, not a bunch of squares. Mm. And mm-hmm. so I've seen people use square by square, you know, Chuck Wallace mm-hmm. and, and other artists use that technique. And they're fine mm-hmm. with it. It's a bit too mechanical for me. So I sit down in front of a drawing and say, okay, I want to get this branch done and this part of the background done. Then when that's done, I sit back. And uh, uh, back in the days, I have a beer. Now I have an old duels. <laughs> so, so you're making I, these little, you're making these little goals for yourself. Mm-hmm, you're saying, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to get that done. You would argue though, I mean, 12 months on one drawing. I mean, that still takes a lot of patience, <laughs> right? I, I, yeah, I think so. it does. It, and for me, it's like, okay, I just, at my residency, I did a drawing a week or a section a week. And then uh-huh. I put them, to, then I put them together as 52 drawings. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really what the drawing is mm-hmm. about. Gotcha. But when I look at those yeah. drawings, I can look at any space and know exactly what was going on that day and exactly what was mm-hmm. going on that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, I, what I was listening to music wise and such. Mm. You know. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is very anti-academic. So when I teach drawing, I teach both. I start out with the academic approach, you know, I'm drawing all over and then going, you know. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then, and then I introduce the method I do. And I suppose about half the people go to the method that I do. Uh, and Interesting. That, that's fine. Yeah. But you think it's important though to learn this academic style uh, of proportion and that kind of thing and building Definitely. it all up. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great way to learn, but I, the alternative mm-hmm. is also important. You'll find your way into that. I, I think mm-hmm. any student that I've ever had, I've taught, not taught mm-hmm. for 50 years, already yeah. has a built in yeah. language, you know, that right. they will. Right. And, and instead of teaching a class, I teach 12 individuals. And uh, say, okay, let me understand where you're trying to go and then try to give them, if they're drawing really light and say, I want to try and draw a little darker. I want to see you draw a lot darker. And then sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, I'd say, you know, that might be your language. Let's do these mm. soft draws without a lot of contrast. Let's see where you're going to go with mm-hmm. that. And nine out of <laughs> 10 times, they become very successful at it because I was, as a teacher, I was open enough to understand you. Mm-hmm. As, as Rather than forcing me. somebody into a box it's, kind of thing. Yeah, teaching is not some outline, here everybody goes and do this. Yeah. And it's, it's it's much more understanding what that student's trying to get out of it and and uh, not compare students to students and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. That I saw as a student that I thought, nah, this is wrong. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it wasn't an ego thing, but I, I knew exactly the way I wanted it. The, mm-hmm. the education was important to me to see the other side of that. Right. But it also made it important for me to go into my own language and understand why I don't do it this way, why I do it the way I do. So it, th- this is another thing that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you might think that Armin is using like, I mean, t- to me, if I was drawing something this large, I probably would use like the biggest pencil ever or something. But you've got the teeny tiniest little Mechanical pencil point <laughs> yeah, that that's you're a, using. That's a whole nother story too, because <laughs> my dad used drafting pencils to draw, you know, those, okay. grip, those grip pencils. Yeah. And so yeah. when I went to school, I had a drafting pencil and, you know, 
And at first they say, no, you're not supposed to use that kind of pencil. I'm like, and why is that? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not the tradition. Okay. So I, I use it anyway and they left me alone, but throughout yeah. the years, I noticed that the smaller the lead is, the darker I can get because it's more concentrated mm. and mm -hmm. I'm very aware of the graphite that leaves a shine if mm -hmm. you press too hard. So mm -hmm. I got the first was a 0.5 and the pencils I use are very important for me. I don't know if I, they're uh, graph gear 1000s by mm -hmm. Pentel and I've been using them for 25 years or something like that or even more. Yeah, and, man, I bought one of those based on your recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're excellent pencils, but you have to use a bunch Red. of them. So, you know, because yeah. you want a B, a 2B, and a 4H, and, and those kinds of things. So, anyway, I started using a smaller, I went to a 0.3, then a 0.2, and you can't put a lot of pressure on them because they break. So, you have to gently yeah. get dark, but you're never going to, you know, paper flattens out with a pencil. And then when you, right, when right. you draw on it, it shines up yeah, because graphite is metal and you get right. these funky places that are real shiny because you're destroying the surface of the paper. Basically, that's what you're doing. I'm not saying I don't get any stuff. It's still graphite, but I get but very, minimal. very, very minimal. And it's yeah. a build up with those little pencils. And uh, then I also use a shape pencil because I don't use anything to blend with. I don't like blending stumps or any of that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So mm -hmm. I blend with a four inch shave pencil as I'm getting finished with that area. And, uh, that doesn't vary the, the, the hills and valleys of the paper. I want the valleys to show through except for the, the darkest dark because that gives it life. And for me, if I use something like a tutillion or a tissue, it buries yeah. all that paper into the valleys and it looks gray. And at times it looks muddy. Muddy. Yeah. I've seen people use these things to successful ways. So, um, mm -hmm. but again, when I teach, I say, well, here's some things people blend with. They, they use a, a chamois, they use a tortillion, mm -hmm. you know, and you might want to try these things. For me, it's never worked. And here is why. Yeah. So I let them make the choice right, of, right. to use those things or not. It sounds like you're really trying to honor the particular bend of a particular artist rather than uh, creating conformists and oh, exactly. processing yeah, a student. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, that's, and I think that's a lot of times uh, colleges do that. I mean, uh -huh. I think they have a different agenda. I think part of college, I think teaching college, and I've taught college too, mm -hmm. is that you're trying to weed out people, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if they fall apart in a critique at 20, is this really the mm -hmm. place where they should go? And now if I give a critique to my classes, the, the people in their, you know, in their middle years, older people, and it's a different way to critique. You know, you yeah. know, you, you want to pick, you want to find the great things they do on that drawing. And I can find great things that anybody and mm -hmm. encourage them to go up because you're not weeding people out as they do in, in college. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that critique process, I, I think is very valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it has been for me personally, um, and just getting people that are more experienced to look at my work. Um, but yeah, so is that, is that the majority of like, do you teach like just, is it the, the gamut of ages or is it, um, more like in their forties, fifties, sixties, or 
younger or just all over? Well, throughout my career, I'd say it was all over the place, but maybe in the last Mm -hmm. 10 years, it was more concentrated on classes that I would teach like master's drawing for people that drew very well to begin with. Uh, And I can't teach a beginning drawing class virtually. It doesn't work for me. So I teach intermediate to advanced drawers and uh, they work mostly in what they want. And Mm -hmm. then we meet online for two or three hours, depending on the class. And I'm very good with Photoshop, so I can take chunks of their work and move it over and uh, show them things on Photoshop that I couldn't do in a live class. So it it has its advantages to teach virtual. And not only that, you can meet people from different places. And there's some disadvantages too, because right now I'm teaching a live class at Studio 23 in Boom City. And uh, it's nice to see people and talk to people, but I mask up. (laughs) Oh, Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. So, especially um, now, I guess, but it's, it's kind of a different thing to see people's drawings in the flesh, so to speak. Yeah. Than to see it, really it on, on a monitor, even though graphite yeah. drawings have texture in the, in the way of seeing paintings, for instance, they do have mark making. That's interesting. If you go close enough, um, mm-hmm. and one of the things I don't like about photorealistic paintings is you see them across the room and they go, oh, those are amazing. You know, you go close and you get disappointed. It's like these lifeless marks at times. And mm-hmm. they don't say anything to me. So um, my favorite photorealist, and probably one of the best in the world, is Dennis Peterson. He's out in New York. And uh, he's been doing this since the 70s, very well known. I was in a show with him, and we became friends. When you go to mm. close to his paintings, it's this great mingling of brush strokes that he has. And so you get excited about the abstraction in those strokes. And yeah, it's like... Yeah. Her- Beto Irv Lewandowski. No. He's a extremely well-colored pencil artist and pretty one of the main oh, ones Oh, yeah, around. yes. I'm sorry. I do know him. He does the water and rocks. and Yeah. 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 Irv and I have Fantastic been stuff. hanging out together for a long time. And oh, we have wow. that same understanding about the abstraction with nature. See, I consider him yeah. Irv an abstraction because he picks these little areas and they look very real. But the excitement about moving and attraction. But when you get close to one of her paintings or drawings, there are these little circles and little interesting marks. They're beautiful yeah. to look at. He's a wonderful. I've artist. never seen one of his in in uh, real life in person. Oh but, my gosh! Uh, yeah, that's some, that. If you haven't seen that, to interview yeah. him, he would be fantastic because uh, he he does amazing work. Well, I, I will tell you, I. I reached out to him and asked him, and uh, so he's he's considering it. Now I'm going to twist his arm. I'll say, well, hey, Armin yeah. said you yeah. need to come on here. <laughs> that's that's, yeah, a, that's great. No, yeah. I think he will. He he's just he's on a trip or something. Yeah, what he, he's, he, he's away at the he's moment. He's a hard worker too. And uh, sounds like it. We we were kindred spirits because the 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 concept of what we were doing was very alike. Um, yeah. yeah. Now I could see the abstraction in his quite a bit, just mm-hmm. just like in your work. I mean, right. it's mm-hmm. pretty apparent. I love that, and I, I would love to see it in person. I mean, it, there's there's something so different about seeing work in person and seeing it online, as you alluded to. Uh, it's entirely different. So, uh, what you don't work in colored pencil, right? Uh, not not much, or. Uh, I, or at all? Occasionally, or? I haven't bothered in 10 years. Uh, I did a demo with, uh, what do they call it? Earth Tints. 
Oh, eight tenths. Eight tenths. Or there's or another one. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the other ones, first tenths, I think it was called, but I'm not sure exactly. Oh, okay. okay. And I drew these two pairs and a light bulb. And so the shape of the light bulb was kind of the same. And I used those, the, that product, mm. earth tenths. Yeah. And it, it, it's just, it's not bright. It's not like Prisma color or something like that, where you get these really bright passages. It's actually right. earth tones. But if you take a little tiny brush, put a little water on that, boom, the color comes out in that particular area. And mm -hmm. so, uh, I did this drawing. So, um, uh, I was very excited. I was going to do more, but then, you know, the reason I use graphite and black and white is I've always been interested in black and white photography. Because it doesn't tell me all. It, it gives me room to imagine where it would be. Is it a warm place? Is it a cool place? You know, when I, when I want, well, yeah. I want the viewer, when I do a piece of art, because to me, art's a circle. It's the mm -hmm. artist and it's the viewer. And at, mm -hmm. that, at that minute, the viewer is correct. So when you see it in a gallery, it says, this does nothing for me. That's correct. That's what it's doing mm -hmm. at that particular mm -hmm. point. But when the minds meet, and the, and art becomes a full circle. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. So I think I went off but subject there, but no, uh, I love that. So as the yeah. artist, though, we're not always telling the story no. to the I viewer. Want, really. I want to see what the, they see. And when yeah. I do get that from them, sometimes I'll use it in my artist statement. <laughs> oh, that, that's yeah, clever. That's really good. These things out. Oh, you did this, you know, this makes you feel so-and-so. Ah, okay. I'm going to write this down. I like that. You yeah. know, so yeah. you learn from the viewer about what they see and you know sometimes you educate the viewer and sometimes yeah. they educate you right right mm -hmm. i've got a question here and mm -hmm. you because you know art mediums you've been around the art world for decades you know what curators look for you are a curator so what is the challenge when you think about colored pencil and where it came from where it is today what is the challenge, especially from someone understanding art the way that you do, peering in here and looking at this medium? What is the challenge for colored pencil today? Well, let me let me put my juror's hat on. I juror a lot of shows. Okay, right? okay, yeah, yeah. And so I walk through a show, and uh, what do I think? First, I just walk the whole show and see what it feels like. Mm. And then I look at individual pieces and. Uh, and I look, what are they saying about, can I understand this artist more because from this particular painting, drawing, sculpture, whatever, and what are they putting in other than technique? I think technique is important. I look at technique a lot, but I also mm -hmm. really look at concept. So if I see a really good drawing, that would be a colored pencil drawing, and it's a still life that I've seen many, many different times, same subject matter, same bowl, right. same fish or whatever they got to do. Right. And they're wonderful at it. That doesn't sway me necessarily in keeping it in the show. Because I want to see more. I want to see what makes yeah. you tick. I mean, you're looking at other still lights and getting, uh, you interviewed uh, Cecil. Um, Cecile Baird? Yeah. yeah. And I curated a show called Contemporary Masters. And I had her in the show and I went down to Ohio, spent time in her studio. Right. And she draws so well, especially with the heated table. You had an interview of the uh, lady that invented that. Right. And listened right. to. And, uh, sh she can deal with things that are just very realistic because she's so magnificent with light and intensity mm. and color. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, she actually took a class from me like, 20 years ago. And I then all of a sudden, 
Yeah. Then all of a sudden, she ended up being in Hillsboro, where my wife is from. Oh, that and, is so funny. You know, and I went down there because I asked her to be in the show. Went down there, talked to yeah. her, and brought and brought those pieces up for the show. Oh, wow. Here. And uh, she's she's an incredible realist, but there's something yeah. going on that's 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 different from that. I, sometimes I can't yeah. put my finger on. You know? Yeah. And the design of her work and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. So it's very moving. So when I look at a show and it's just about eye candy, they mm-hmm. probably will stay in the show, but they won't get an award. Mm-hmm. I want people to take chances. I want people to draw something that other people don't see. You know, as as I'm walking through, you know, right now I'm doing, I teach a lot of classes called iPhonography. And it's about making art with your iPhone, which is different mm-hmm. than iPhone photography. But when I tell people, as you go to that sunset to take pictures, you just miss 300 opportunities to take a great photo. Yeah. There's so many great things to what you think is going to be a great photo, which is cliche and it might be nice, yeah. but you're not covering any ground. Look around yeah. you. Look at every corner. Look at the rust on that building. Look at the textures yeah. and, that, and that stock. Really put your artist's eyes on for that. You, you, people mm-hmm. think, well, you, you look at things like an artist. No, I mean, I have to be concentrating. So I want to look at things like an artist to do that. But on the way to that sunset, you've missed 300 opportunities to take some great shots or get some great references to do some great drawings. Mm-hmm. Be aware of why you want to draw. Here's, for instance, when I was a kid, Germany was in ruins and my grandparents yeah. were lucky enough to have electricity. And outside there were all these ruined buildings, bombed out buildings. And the kids and I would play in those buildings and we would find bombs that were unexploded. We, we knew better not to touch them. But there mm-hmm. was all this tape. We're kids. We, we don't. We ignore the tape. And so there was all these yeah. ruins. And I started to wonder, to my, as a child, I wonder what happened here because they didn't talk about it. So mm-hmm. as an mm-hmm. adult, that nature taking back has always been a theme in my work, and it came from those early years as a child, growing up in a country that was devastated. Hmm. And that's still in my work, and it's still in my design, and you know some of that, yeah. you know, really. It comes together in that. So that's my language. I'm interested in how nature takes back. I'm interested in abstraction. So for me to do just a still life, and I'm not, I'm not saying just a still life. They're great to do when people do yeah. beautiful ones. For me, right. it comes back to Larry's butcher comment and looking at my piece and saying, so, <laughs> yeah, that was a great, that was a great statement. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. I mean, would you admit it's, it's difficult to, to bottle up what you just articulated and to help some, I mean, other than the encouragement to say, look at, mm-hmm. look at things differently and look around and think differently and not, and not through the cliche lens of it's a beautiful sunset. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a difficult thing to instill or, or teach to somebody, even if the motivation is there? I mean, I would argue that I want to do that if like, you and I talked about uh, before we started recording, maybe that there's a lot of things I'd like to do, but I'm a lot of times busy teaching and giving critiques and that kind of thing. And I, meanwhile, I've got, I've got this list over here that I would like to get started on, you know, some things I'd like to do, uh-huh. but, um, but it's still difficult, I think, to, for me to even look around and observe something because I am looking for something different. I am looking for, uh, something to spotlight rather than the cliche, whatever, 
you know, mm-hmm. even in portraits, you know, same thing. Oh, sure. I think if you just you have a, a general discussion about the big thing, what is art? And I, I get weary of mm-hmm. that discussion anyway, because I, I can't tell you, I can't describe love to you either. It's, it's just one of those yeah. things you have to be in the moment and it's But time, it is. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but I do say, look at other things, you know, mm-hmm. don't just look at art and that's been right. done. Look at other things around you. What do you see in nature? What do you see in abstraction? I give assignments like this has, this next drawing has to be from your yard. Mm-hmm. If, if you live in an alley, that's your yard, right? <laughs> so look for things in your yard yeah. and find the most interesting thing you can. It's going to be different than anything you've seen because nobody has yeah. your yard. I mean, right. if you have a beautiful garden in your yard, all of a sudden you get a bunch of flowers. Okay. So yeah. be it. Yeah. But the, the yeah. idea of it is to limit your, it's like limiting a palette. It's very important yeah. to do that and limit your vision. Mm. Go to an area and say, here, I want to draw something here. And so mm-hmm. I would go to, let's say, an abandoned house. What yeah. is here? What is here that interests me? And all of a sudden I found interest in texture. I found interest mm-hmm. in interesting things in composition. And what I mm-hmm. found is nobody has done this. Nobody has visited this that mm-hmm. I'm aware of. I'm sure other mm-hmm. people do. Yeah. But that's kind of the way I look at art for myself. How do I see things, you know, and yeah. what do I want to represent? And, and this sounds, maybe it's not strange, but it would be exciting to draw. I've never drawn anything like this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's the most difficult thing in the world. And I'm saying, oh, what am I getting myself into here? Right? <laughs> like these <You> trees. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I made a decision a long time ago that I didn't want to make a living off of art. I want to sell art and I've uh-huh. sold it and I've been very successful, especially in the last 10 years, but making a living doing art and you got to start making, it will sell and, uh, you know, I can't do these, this, this bricks or this concrete cause it's not going to sell. I did a series called the uh, metal skins, which was really rusted metal from, from diesel motors and mm. creating the abstract space. So I'd move everything around. But the scratches and the dents and the little stones and spider webs were so intriguing to draw mm-hmm. uh, that if I had to sell that, I would be very leery because I put probably 800 hours in, in one of those. And I did five. But it's not for the everyday yeah. person to put in their home. But you know what? Right, they do really right. good in shows because you are thinking differently. And mm-hmm. they were very mm-hmm. exciting to draw. And uh, mm-hmm. that's it. But, you know, I, I taught. I worked. I managed a frame store in Chicago for a long time, which was a great place to work. If you, if you're a younger person and you want to go into the arts, work in a frame store. It's amazing what you see. It's, it's almost better than working in a college. Yeah, mm. it, was, it was fantastic. Then I, I taught for all that time, even then, and then worked in the museum here in, in Little Michigan and different hats, you know, but when I got done working, mm-hmm. I couldn't wait to get home and draw. I'd have mm. my dinner, I'd go to my studio, I'd draw till midnight, get up at six mm-hmm. and draw till 8.30, and boom, I'd have 45 hours in a week in drawing time. There's no excuse. Don't, don't say to me you don't have the time. Right. Because right. believe me, you know, if you knock off playing around on the phone and this and that, you'll have, <laughs> you'll have the phone, you'll have the time. Uh, your you favorite know. show or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny. You know what? It's funny how we always make time for what we prioritize. <laughs> sure. And we always, sure. we always uh, have time for things that we mm-hmm. really want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me just talk a little bit about the iPhone 
stuff I do? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I am fascinated with that because your iPhoneography is very abstract. Uh, a lot yeah. of those compositions mm-hmm. that you do, and they're fantastic. I, I have no idea how you do that, but it's, well, it's amazing to look here's at. Here's how I that happened. It. The iPhone came out. At the time, I had a flip phone. And I yeah. didn't, I, to me, a camera on a phone didn't make sense. I didn't even understand it. It's like having a shovel yeah, with a toaster yeah. on it. You know, it just didn't make sense <laughs> right. to me. Right. <laughs> so uh, I got this thing and uh, Val says, no, you know, there's a camera in there. And I said, you know, I got a really good camera at home. I certainly don't need this three megapixel camera, whatever. It was <laughs> right. So I got this and we walked to our studio at the time. It was about two miles away. And uh, I walked by this building and it had this rust on it. And I took a shot, I took a shot, and I went to the studio, and I was fascinated. So I started, I was going to do an iPhone picture a year, every day, and I did that. Mm-hmm. And then I did one every every day for a thousand days. Oh, wow. And I did that. And I got to understand the different apps that were good and that were not good. And right. then I did, I, you know, when I say I created it, it doesn't mean that I created it worldwide. I created it for myself, this technique called app stacking. So you're not just doing something on an app, which leaves app trail. Oh yeah, that was done on that app. I put all these right. apps together and use my drawing skills, my painting skills, my design skills together to create iPhoneography. Uh, iPhone photography is making that that phone work just like a DLSR camera or a mirrorless right. camera. And you right. can do that. iPhoneography yeah. is really the creative side of that. And most of the people that I had in classes, and I've taught hundreds of them, use the painting skills and the drawing skills and their other artistic skills to create that. Uh, if, if your audience would like to see some of that, it goes yeah, to definitely. Facebook and look at the Great Lakes iPhoneography group. Okay. All right. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, when the first time I saw some of your work um, with this iPhoneography, it, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at it, you might be confused and you might think that this is actually uh, some artwork. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's a, I mean, it is artwork, but it's mm-hmm. not, it's not something created by his hand. Right. Um, it, it's amazing. Oh, well, wow. I use, I use, the same part of my mind that I do when I uh, yeah. start a drawing and the co- yeah. concept, I do the same thing with iPhoneography. Now, what iPhoneography does for people that aren't interested in photography is it's a creative think tank. So when, yeah. at night when you're hmm. sitting and you're tired and you're watching TV, you play around the phone and all these possibilities that, oh my God, this would be great for my next you know, color pencil drawing or mm-hmm. this would be. Now, I've never drawn one of my iPhone pieces because it's already art. So it doesn't make any sense for me to reproduce it. Takes you know eight hundred hours to yeah. reproduce what I already think is art. Uh, doing a doing a master copy of yourself, mm-hmm. huh? <laughs> right? So it really opens up your imagination once you understand the art of iPhoneography, yeah. and uh, it's it's beautiful for that. For me, it, you know, I was very antsy before. I was like, I'm working five hundred hours in this drawing, and I'm not being creative. I am being creative and how do I make a mark and those kinds of things, but not conceptually. So when the iPhone came in, it got me, I was, I could work longer on my drawings because I was creative every day, you know, it was so exciting for me to do that. And so now I can spend, you know, the next eight hours drawing three branches. Fantastic. You know, (laughs) so, uh, it's a good way to look at it. Your, your creativity outlet was uh, handled through the phone. (laughs) 
Yeah. And uh, so now it's become really an you know, art form in its own right as photography is. Uh, but it's a, it's different. It's different things. Yeah. It, it, oh, it bounces me a lot. It's like a teeter totter for me. You know, the drawings, and now I'm starting to work with oils again. I haven't done in a long time. Mm. And then the iPhonography, it balances out my creative process. I get really antsy if I'm not creating something. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about your like rituals or habits, routines, like in the morning, that kind of thing? Do you have anything that is sort of sacrosanct that you do every day? Well, um, let's, let's talk about. Uh, BC before COVID, everything changed. Okay. <laughs> right. So, Armin Mersman, BC. Yeah. I would, you, I would get up in the morning. I'd have a cup of coffee with my wife. Uh, mm. I'd spend uh, maybe five hours in the morning when I'm fresh. And then I would do things I had to do. I might have to teach a class or go to the grocery right. store or whatever. And then in the evening, I'd go at it again. I probably did the important stuff in the morning. And in the evening, I would do you know, more blocking in and things like that. Mm-hmm. That that was the right. routine. Uh, sure. I would get in 50, 60 hours a week on that. And yeah. then, then COVID came and uh, making a living was, was changing, was different. Mm-hmm. I actually sold more work in the last year and a half than I have in my lifetime. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, without galleries. So, you know, you're making yeah. a lot more money at it. Yeah. Um, and what, so, what do you attribute that to? Just... More focus and attention on people's homes, and they're just thinking, "Hey, I'm no, looking uh, around online." Or I, I was know. forced to get to understand social media. Oh, I, gotcha! I, I was so forced put yourself to out there. Go on, uh, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, yeah. and all those things. And I do, you know, for me, I use them for my purpose. I mean, if I'm on yeah. Facebook, I stay away from politics. I stay mm-hmm. away from showing my breakfast or whatever people do on yeah. there. <laughs> you know, to me, that holds little interest. Right, um, right. But I've been on Facebook since the beginning, so I've got a, a whole lot of followers, let's say that. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I get to talk to people that I admire as mm-hmm. artists, and uh, they get to talk to me. Now my routine is I have a, I have a calendar that I put together because, you know, Google calendars are not enough. It's all color-coded. I look at the calendar. What do I have to do? And I'm, I'm, I really work with that. Oh, I have two hours here. I'll go to the studio. And. Oh, I might have five hours there and mm-hmm. I don't have any classes to teach. I can work all day. It's a miracle. And I get yeah, in there and yeah. I'm, I'm like, what else can I do? <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, so it's changed, but yeah. it's getting back to, you know, once I understood all these things, these cameras and microphones and, right, and right. you know, I had to get a brand new computer and I had to get a brand new internet connection. So uh, uh, I, I have that. And so right. that's a learning curve too. I right. was always very good at Photoshop because in my work in the museum business, I designed brochures and all this stuff. And oh, right. I also right. set my work up on Photoshop. So if I take three photos and put one thing in from that photo, one thing in from that photo, I do that on Photoshop so I can see the whole before I start. Mm. I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily work from that particular piece, mm-hmm. but I so see just the composition whole. and layout, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, you know, in the old days, when, you, when you're working in the drawing, there's different methods to see it far away, or you look yeah. at it in a mirror, for instance, that was a mm-hmm. way to look at it, or you look at it in a dark room, so you just see the major things, you squint so you can see it kind of in black and white. Yeah. Today, if you, have a, if you have an app like Snapseed, you can right, do all right. that stuff. And I'm not saying, you know, 
I love that. I, I always tell people, don't work from a black and white photo if you're a graphite artist. But every once in a while, check how it will look in black and white. So turn it into mm -hmm. a black and white. And mm -hmm. maybe once every two days, look at it and see if that makes sense. But you see more in a color and translating in black and white, you'll see more than if you work from a black and white image. So, um, and so you have that tool and it's not going to go away. If I teach a beginning drawing class, I tell them, I don't want you to use computers. I don't want you to use your iPhone, at least for the first 12 weeks. Can you deal with that? You know? And, uh, and then I say, now use that other stuff to your advantage. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and see what you can find within it. For instance, it was years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I was doing a portrait and I couldn't see anything in the shadows. And I put it on Photoshop and just hit the contrast and made it lighter. Yeah. I could see into those shadows. Right. And I could draw right. what I couldn't see, so to speak. Uh -huh. um, and I also think there's a, there's a tendency for people to do what's called intellectual realism. Uh, intellectual realism is if you're drawing a landscape and you see all those leaves, you don't see them as individual leaves, mm -hmm. but, but if you deal with the intellect, you will draw every leaf because it's, it's intellectual realism. And mm -hmm. a lot of fantasy artists use that to their advantage. You know, when mm -hmm. they're, when they're doing drawings of like, uh, of the Hobbit or something in fantasy, you know, these, these right. people are in every little leaf is there and it feels differently. And that's mm -hmm. intellectual realism. Nothing mm -hmm. wrong with it mm -hmm. for the right purpose, but I consider myself a realist. So I don't draw really what I don't see. I wouldn't say that's always. Sometimes I highlight something and do do it that extra, you know, focus on it or something like that. But most of the time, I, I draw what I see and have the power enough to go to other different places and use that intellectual mm. realism to a bit. Yeah. Interesting. My drawing technique the way I draw, I've, I haven't seen anybody use that because they're not me. So I see right. great drawings all over the place. I believe I have students mm -hmm. that have amazing drawings, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. You're, yeah. You know, it's, let's, let's just be contemporaries now. You know? Yeah, exactly. I've got, I've got several of those. It's just like, okay, you've, you've outdone me here. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, which is a good thing, right? Isn't that a, Correct. that's to me, that's success, um, mm -hmm. as, mm -hmm. as an instructor. So if, if somebody is brand new to art and brand new to drawing in particular, what advice would you give this person? So let's talk about somebody who is maybe in their fifties or sixties around in that, that age range, uh, and they're brand new. Uh, mm -hmm. to art a lot of times it's just this uphill battle of believing in themselves that they can do this that kind of thing mm -hmm. um but do you have any advice armin for somebody just starting in art yeah, like later I, in life like that i think once you decide you want to draw and, and drawing i still believe is the foundation of the arts if you know how to draw well you'll be a better painter or i'm yeah. working with a watercolor which is a very difficult medium for me so I stay away from yeah. it. Um, <laughs> um, but drawing is really the foundation, you know, of the visual arts or, or anything. If, I mean, if you want to design cars, you have to take drawing classes yeah. just to understand, you know, the structure of what you want to put down or whatever. Right. And so if you're new to drawing, be aware that it's not going to happen overnight and that you're going to create some 
what you perceive as failures. They're not failures at mm -hmm. all. They're just mm -hmm. kind of bumps in the road and you'll, you'll mm -hmm. get it. Don't, don't be a perfectionist because mm -hmm. you're never going to, I mean, go, go for it. But mm -hmm. at some point you've got to put your name on it and say, this is art. And I yeah. do that when I think I'm 95% there, I'll mm -hmm. stop because I'm never going to reach that hundred percent mark. So that mm. you know, art's a chain. It's not a piece. It's this piece and this piece and this piece. If you see growth, mm -hmm. you're in its success. So when you're mm. first starting out and it's your know, first drawing, you're like, oh my God, why am I doing this? And then in two weeks, you're able to draw a hand that's recognizable. That's more success than I have in a year as far as learning new things. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So yeah. you have more successes as a beginning drawer and somebody who is advanced that is not going to have these big leaps anymore. They're just going to have little right, leaps. Right. So look right, at those right. what, what you think is a failure or a mistake as a very successful part. Because as a teacher, I can see where you need to go and improve on. And don't compare yourself to other people. And don't say, I don't have the talent. Don't say, I'm not creative. I had a person in the class who was a, he was an electrician. He says, I'm not creative. I said, oh, okay. I said, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm an electrician. I said, so do you ever run into some problems? Oh, yeah, all the time. And how do you fix them? Well, I figured out. I try. I do the what if thing. <laughs> That's being creative. That's exactly yeah. what you're doing. If you're yeah. in a job, you're a creative person for the most yeah. part. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've so be, as, right? as artists, it's no different. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I think that the, the high creative things come in the conceptual part of making art, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes that goes, that's very uncomfortable. I'm somebody taping a banana on a wall. It got people talking about art, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. People were angry about it, but got people talking about art. <laughs> so it was successful to get people talking uh -huh. about art, right? So I tell people in the beginning, you know, be kind to yourself, I'll learn from yeah. the people around you and it'll come. And while some one day, boom, that comes to you. It's like mm -hmm. playing a guitar. I don't know, you know, I'm a miserable guitar, but I, you know, I had to wait it for 40 years. And if, uh, you know, there's a chord I can't get and all of a sudden one day it's there, it's easy. You know, <laughs> where did that come from? You know, it was miserable mm -hmm. for two months and now all of a sudden I can reach that chord at any time. So it's, it's mm, kind of mm -hmm. uh, akin to that with art, what you think right, is going to be right. hard. You know, people have a hard time with portraits and drawing noses, for instance, especially to, mm -hmm. uh, for him. And it's the subtleties that make that happen. You know, mm -hmm. when I did when I made portraits for a living and something was wrong with the likeness of it, uh, it was usually a shadow on the chin or something like that. It wasn't, yeah. it was really never the main features, eyes, nose, and mouth. It was the structure of the face that there was something wrong with. So we forget mm. to look at those little things when we do a portrait is, you know, to get that right too. Hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So do you, uh, do you work in charcoal at all? Do you, have you? Or no. Not much yeah. Or? Well, sure. I have, you know, since you go yeah. to school, um, I think right. charcoal is, That's just... is an interesting medium that I, I'm kind of strange when, when I said, I wanted to be the best graphite drawer I can be. It was kind of, you uh, know, okay. In my forties, I was painting mostly and I was drawing and I said, I got to stop painting. I want to stick with graphite. I want to be the best graphite drawer I can be. I didn't mm -hmm. look at it, but I want to be the best in the world. Any of that nonsense. I looked at, I want to be as good as mm -hmm. I can possibly be. Mm -hmm. That's kind of why I, I didn't use charcoal. I didn't use pastel. 
Uh, kept the color out of it as far as colored pencils concerned because I like the mystery of that. I think I alluded to that about black and white photography. Mm-hmm. You know, the viewer right. puts the color into it. And so that's why I'm working with black and white graphite. And now I get to the point where I want to see color and through eye phonography. And now I'm going back to small oil paintings. Uh, mm-hmm. I get that back. I took a break from color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so kind of a, kind of a longer break though, right? Just I mean, how long is it? Yeah. So with your oil painting, what are you doing or saying in your oil painting now? Well, is, when I, when I was painting and I was, and I was repped by Ann Nathan Gallery in, in Chicago, I was doing these small pieces. Now working in How the small frames, are they? Oh, eight by 10, five by seven okay. inches, something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. at that time I was approached by Ampersand who makes clay board. Uh, they mm-hmm. knew of, they knew of my artwork and they wanted me to test the product and they came out with a thing called clayboard. And so I tested mm-hmm. it and I would, I would draw on it, but then I would sand it out and then I would seal it with fixative and then crystal clear and then go over it with oils, lakes, mostly transparent. And oh. then I was very influenced by Mondrian and his middle period and by Tiffany with these. And uh, they had these little sections of light that came out and they look like gold because I use a gold surface to begin with. Mm. And they're, they're like these beautiful, precious little objects that are in a frame under glass. Yeah. They're not like normal oil paintings. Right. And they were selling and I went to Vermont for <laughs> three, three months residency there and I did a bunch and was, everything was cool. And all of a sudden I got tired. Of, there was that pressure to keep doing the same thing. And I went to and Nathan Gallery and said, oh, I just want to draw and shit. Well, we can't sell drawings. So that mm. was it. I said, okay, mm. fine. And now uh, mm. I, I came to a point where I did a talk about my work and I showed these oil paintings. I said, wow, those were wonderful. I'm going to do that again. So um, that, <laughs> You'd forgotten that's about I, that for a little while. Huh? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it sees a different yeah. part of my soul, you know. Color yeah. is a part of my soul. And iphonography, which is about trying different things and, and compositions. You don't have nothing to lose. You have an hour to lose if it doesn't work out. Who cares? Yeah. And then yeah. that drawing that feeds my soul and it's my sanctuary. And when all, you know, right. I have all these things that come together and they, they make me, they make me civil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. Hey, thank you so much, Armin. I really appreciate hey. you coming on. Um, my goodness, this, this is tremendous. And you shared so much. Um, I feel like sure. I could just talk to you for hours, but I want to be yeah. respectful of your time oh. and, uh, maybe we'll have you on in the future at some I point. I would love to. Um, I, w- I would love to. Well, John, thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed, uh, the, the podcast, the great questions. I hope to see you again sometime. Well, all right. Well, you made it really easy. I didn't hardly have to ask anything. So Guys, if you enjoyed the show, remember this comes out every Monday, but you get the video version over there in Members Circle, part of Monthly Sharpener. It's only $8.99 uh, a month. If you're interested in that, go over there and check it out. No commitment. If you don't like it, it's not for you. Just uh, cancel. No big deal. We've got more over there than just these live video interviews. Be sure and go to the show notes. Check out these links. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who knows as much about drawing as Armin does. So I encourage you to follow him on social media. Check out what he's doing. It's, it's amazing stuff. All right, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, take care and stay sharp. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com.